everybody, it's Dr. Ron. And I'm really excited today to introduce uh, to everyone Dr. Nathan Bryan, uh, PhD. Dr. Bryan uh, did his undergrad in the Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry at uh, University of Texas at Austin. He got his doctorate from Louisiana State University School of Medicine in Shreveport and has multiple awards and has done decades of research on this topic called nitric oxide, which we're gonna to touch on uh, today. And, uh, and Dr. Nathan and I have decided uh, that it's really time to focus on uh, some racial disparities of how COVID-19 is really affecting the African-American population uh, from mechanisms that not everyone may know about, which is these nitric oxide mechanisms. And so we're gonna keep it uh, real simple and also let you guys know we are doing a clinical trial. It's in multiple cities right now. Um, I'm hosting the Houston uh, Center. Uh, it's also in, what is it, Atlanta, right? Um, Websites in Chicago, in um, Houston, um, Orlando, Jackson, Mississippi, and Augusta, Georgia. Augusta, Georgia. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and maybe more to come. We don't know, right? <laughs> um, so uh, let's, let's dive into this uh, because I think this is a topic uh, that not many people know about. And so let's, let's dive into the why. Um, why. Why was a study designed in the first place? And what's, what's your background in, in nitric oxide? Uh, and, uh, and also, why now? Yeah, it's a very good point, and thanks, Dr. Ron, for, for having me and having this discussion. It's very important. See, I've been in the nitric oxide field for more than 20 years. I've published hundreds of peer-reviewed papers, have over two dozen issued U.S. and international patents, and so I've <clears throat> really been trying to figure out what goes wrong in people that can't make nitric oxide, what are the clinical consequences, and then how do you fix these problems? So that's kind of the background of kind of my world in the nitric oxide space, and it's recognized that loss of nitric oxide is really the earliest event in the onset and progression of many, if not most, chronic diseases. So we've been trying to develop safe and effective therapeutics, nutritional products for, for more than 10 years now. Um, and we had drugs that we were trying to develop for heart failure, pulmonary hypertension, coronary artery disease, um, and then COVID came. And over the past 10 months, we've learned a lot in COVID that um, they're very susceptible populations that have an increased rate of infection, increased risk of hospitalization, and, you know, a higher mortality rate. And one such population is the African Americans. Uh, they represent 13% of the U.S. population, but they're about 50% of COVID deaths. And so that's really, a, and the health disparities of African Americans have been known for many, many decades. The African Americans have a higher incidence of high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, um, kidney disease, some forms of cancer. And about 20 years ago, it was recognized that due to both some genetics and, and lifestyle issues that African-Americans have a higher rate of endothelial dysfunction, which means that they produce lower nitric oxide than most other ethnic groups. And that actually explains the health disparities. So why COVID? So, you know, it takes many years and, and to get a drug approved from start to to finish. You know, we've had safe and effective nitric oxide technologies on the market for more than 10 years. So with COVID, we recognize that the increased risk of infection, the increased rate of 
the rapid progression of disease and need for hospitalization, ventilation, and death was all due to insufficient nitric oxide. So it just made sense to us to implement a nitric oxide therapy to normalize their nitric oxide levels. And then by all bets, we could prevent the rapid progression of disease, the need for hospitalization, the need for ventilation because nitric oxide controls oxygen delivery and oxygen uptake. And then if you do that, you decrease mortality. So we submitted an, an investigational new drug application to the FDA earlier this year. We got that approved and cleared several months ago. And now the work is to be done. And thanks to you, we've got a clinical site up and running in Houston. Um, and so we're looking for African-Americans aged 50 to 85 with at least one underlying comorbidity, whether that be high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, smokers, pulmonary disease, kidney disease, one of, one of those, one or more of those, and you're diagnosed with COVID within 72 hours, then you're, you're a candidate for enrolling in this study. Uh, so that's the patient population. We've gone to hotspots. Obviously, this is uh, a ripe time for a clinical trial in COVID. Um, and so that's, that's the why. And we think that we can impact this particular population, very vulnerable, very susceptible population to COVID, and really, I think, save hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives. Right. Well, thank you for that, Dr. Brian. So one thing I do want to bring up, and it's kind of like the elephant in the room, because there's, this is a huge time of mistrust in the nation. And I think that there's a lot of vaccines and a lot of drugs that are developed out there, right? Uh, what makes uh, what we're studying now so important uh, to not just African-Americans, but to everyone? What's unique about this? Is it safer? Is it more natural? Um, what is it? Is there, is there some sort of chemical component that doesn't do as much detriment as other drugs? What's unique about this? Yeah, it's a, very, it's a very good question. And I think it's worth mentioning that this is not a vaccine. This is classified as a therapeutic. You know, it's known that about half the population really does, do not want to take a vaccine. And as much as 65 to 70% of African-Americans are a little bit distrusting and, and aren't in favor of getting vaccinated. So what we do is we develop safe and effective therapeutics, which is completely different. And we, this is different than most drug discovery programs because I apply principles of applied physiology, which means that we understand the mechanism of disease to the extent that we can fix the underlying problem within the human body. So nitric oxide is naturally produced from the time we're born to the time we die. We just lose it over age. And so we're looking to simply restore normal physiological production of nitric oxide. And what we've learned about COVID, what we've learned about these so-called long haulers, the increased risk of blood clotting and stroke and embolism and uh, blood clotting disorders can all be attributed to lack of nitric oxide production. So what we're doing in our therapy is basically repleting back what's missing in these susceptible and vulnerable populations. Okay, so it's interesting because um, when most drugs are developed, it's for a specific biochemical um, thing that happens in the body, right? And it's like, you know, there's blood pressure pills, but the, you're not really born with a blood pressure pill deficiency. There's antacids. You're not really born with an antacid, <laughs> right. right? And so this is really looking at the root cause because you do have a nitric oxide deficiency if maybe you have poor lifestyle habits, there's racial disparities, um, toxicities, 
um, and, and poor diet and stuff like that, right? And so this is really the first thing that I that I really seen that deals with the underlying dysfunction as a root cause effect and trying to prop ourselves up from the root cause effect in affecting disease outcome, right? And so, um, and so that's why I'm kind of I'm really excited to to be to be involved in this. So let's talk about the the study drug a little more. What, what is what is the drug called? The drug is called Novirocid. So we, we had a play on words, and Novirocid means acetyl means or cid means kill. So mm -hmm. a viracid means kills the virus, and no as a as a prefix is like the nitric oxide kills the virus, or Novirocid. So what this drug is, it's, it's an orally disintegrating tablet. So I think it's worth mentioning nitric oxide is a gas that's naturally produced in your body. So when it's produced, it hits its target, it elicits some cell signaling events, and basically has the physiological function. So this lozenge, actually, when it's dissolving in the mouth, actually generates the nitric oxide gas. So if your body can't make nitric oxide, which is the African-Americans that are infected with COVID, then we do it for you. So we provide that rescue dose of nitric oxide. It'll open up your blood vessels. It'll improve oxygen delivery. We're seeing blood oxygen levels go from the mid to high 80s into the 90s within uh, 10 or 15 minutes. So we see the physiological effects of that. And the interesting thing is nitric oxide is also antiviral. There's published studies out there showing that nitric oxide can prevent or inhibit virus replication. So if you're exposed, the normal innate immune response is that our white blood cells and immune system becomes mobilized. We generate a lot of nitric oxide. Nitric oxide prevents the virus from replicating and you don't get sick or symptoms. But in people that can't make nitric oxide, the virus takes root, rapidly replicates, rapidly is transported throughout the body, infects many cells. You get very sick. You lose the ability to transport oxygen. Um, you get hypoxemia and you need for hospitalization. You have to put on a vent. Once you're on a vent, uh, the prognosis is very poor. So with hundreds of thousands or millions of patients now been diagnosed, most people recover, um, but we know there are populations that do very poorly, and that's the African-American population. We hope to reverse that course. Great. And so the next question, the very common question is, why African-Americans? So we just look at the CDC studies. You know, African-Americans have uh, 1.4 times the cases compared to, uh, these are the rate ratios compared to white non-Hispanic persons. It's on the CDC website as of today, um, which is December 16, 2020. Uh, rates of hospitalization in African-Americans is 3.7 times higher, and the rates of death is 2.8 times higher. But you're seeing similar numbers in the Hispanic or Latino persons as well. Right. In even, even higher numbers in American Indian, Alaskan Native, uh, non-Hispanic persons. So why African-Americans right now uh, and uh, can we apply this to other uh, race groups in the future? Yeah, so we, and you're correct, there are other dis uh, ethnic groups that have the same or similar racial disparities. We chose African-Americans because these health disparities have been known for many decades. And now there's a fundamental mechanism of action that explains the health disparities in African-Americans. It's endothelial dysfunction and lack of nitric oxide production. So now we've got, we work from the top down. We take epidemiological data, which really reveals the race, racial disparities and a higher incidence of these things like high blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes. And so we have a mechanism of action that we can actually design drugs around to correct this underlying physiological problem that explains the racial disparities. So that's the reason we just have more data on 
fundamental mechanisms, whether it's physiological, whether it's lifestyle and socioeconomic or access to care, all of those have been really elucidated in the African-American community. Great. So, and know, I, think, I think it's also worth, worth mentioning, too, that, you know, this isn't a repurposed drug like many other drug companies are doing to throw it at COVID. We have a fundamental mechanism of action that's irrefutable and indisputable in terms of the science behind the increased risk of infection for COVID. And we're restoring this naturally produced molecule. So this isn't something we're looking to, to repurpose, which we don't know uh, the safety profile on. We know the safety profile of this. Yeah, wonderful. And so um, just to kind of clarify and bring it down into, uh, into terms that people can understand uh, nitric oxide. So from what I understand is that, you know, this, this nitric oxide component, which I believe was discovered in the late 80s, this nitric oxide, its job is to work on the lining of the blood vessels. And, when, and uh, what happens is that as blood flow through the vessel, uh, there's a shearing force and there's an inflammatory force that's on the lining of the blood vessels. And when that becomes compromised, people can develop clots, people can develop plaque and atherosclerosis onto that blood vessel, which eventually leads to cardiovascular death, like, um, like uh, heart attacks and, and, and strokes and, and whatnot, right? And so I find it interesting because uh, back in 2008, we already know that there's a racial disparity in African-Americans that um, that they suffer also 2.7 to 2.8 times higher uh, cardiovascular death. So I find it very interesting that this 2.8, 2.7, 2.8 is very similar to COVID deaths that's mirroring right, right? right? And so um, I, I don't think it's an accident. I do think that nitric oxide plays a humongous role in this. And I'm really glad that, you know, we're finally looking at the target. But here's what I don't understand, Dr. Brian, and I think this is where you can really help me really uh, capture this. So is it nature or is it nurture? Um, is are, are different races born with this deficiency? Or is it that um, there's cultural biases or social and economic biases? Like what, what is it? Is it both? Well, I think it's both. They're clear. There's, there's some genetic predispositions. So, for example, there's two that stick out in the African-American population. There's a, a, a single nucleotide polymorphism in, in an enzyme called glucose-6-phosphate dehydrogenase. We refer to it as a G6PD deficiency. Uh, African-Americans have about a three times higher rate of G, G6, G6PD deficiency than the, general, than the Caucasians. Uh, and that renders a lot of decreased nitric oxide production because of the metabolic byproducts of that enzyme that feed into making nitric oxide. The other one is an NADPH oxidase, which makes more oxidative stress in the African-American population, which then sh further shuts down nitric oxide production. And then two, when you have uh, you know, access to care, there's an issue with the African-American population. So when African-Americans get sick, they tend to wait longer to go to the doctor, to their physician, whether it's they don't have access to care in that particular community or there's distrust between the patient and the physician. So then they wait and then the disease progresses to a point of um, really where it becomes critical. So it's both and it's also lifestyle. It's diet and lifestyle. You know, there's smokers, there's poor diet, uh, an inflammatory diet all contributes to this. So you may have the genetic predisposition but if you do the things that epigenetically control the expression of those genes, it's nurture and nature both, 
that really create the perfect storm for, for being susceptible to not just COVID. These patients also suffer the greatest in the seasonal flu, which we're in the midst of the seasonal flu season. Um, so this explains lack of nitric oxide, explains everything we know about susceptibility to chronic disease, including COVID-19. Okay, so, so it's really a combination. And earlier you said single nucleotide polymorphism. So basically, the, these are uh, genetic differences uh, between races. Right. So, you know, obviously there's smokers within all races, not just African-Americans. There's people with bad diets like in, in, in all races. All that contributes to decreased nitric oxide production in these races. But perhaps in the African-American and, and maybe Latino-American population, um, there's racial disparities and, and with, with uh, nitric oxide deficiency being much higher. So right now, you know, the focus um, is to first get some data on the African-American population, see if possibly increasing nitric oxide in this population is able to affect outcomes. Um, so can you define what we're trying to prove in the study? What are the actual outcomes? Sure. So when we, when we design clinical studies, we do a power analysis and we have to have an end in mind. What we're looking for is to reduce the rate of hospitalization, admission into the intensive care unit and death. So those are our primary endpoints. Our secondary endpoints are looking at blood oxygen levels, uh, changes in blood pressure, and also changes in temperature, how well your body's responding to the infection. Um, and so when we do a power analysis, our goal was to reduce the rate of hospitalization by 25%. <clears throat> and when you do the biostatistics on that, we come out with we needed 840 patients. And so half of these patients are going to get a placebo, half of the patients are going to get an active. Neither you as the physician at the clinical trial nor the patients know if they're going to be getting the active or the placebo. So 50% randomized are going to get an active drug, 50% randomized are going to get the placebo, and we're going to monitor these patients. We do remote monitoring through a telemedicine platform, and we can actually monitor their blood oxygen levels. So I think that's a really critical important point because if you're diagnosed with COVID, especially for African-American 50 to 85, there's fear involved. And so we don't, we're going to hold your hand and we're going to call you two to three times a week to check on you. We can monitor you remotely to make sure you're not rapidly progressing. And then at the end of 30 days, you'll return back to the clinic if you're not in the hospital. And we'll combine the data once we have um, 840 patients that have completed the study. And I'm very confident uh, that we'll see a profound impact on the active drug versus the placebo. So this is great because, you know, the study's value here is not really just looking at the study drug, which is the no virusid. It's also adding additional level of support with through this monitoring and telemedicine platform. And so there's that additional level of safety, correct? Correct. Yes. And so I think that, um, that whenever uh, something's designed like this, we have to make sure that the intention is right. And the intention is here is to demonstrate this within the African-American community. Are there intentions to look at other races or any other subgroups? Well, yeah, no doubt. We take in the African-American, which is the most vulnerable, most susceptible population. If we can reverse the trend and prevent the rapid progression of disease and hospitalization in the African-American population, then it'll work just as well as in any other population. So the, the really, the, and there's some strategy to this, because if we did, for example, if you took every single 
ethnic group and just did a broad clinical study in everybody and didn't, you know, single point the African-American population. To get that same power analysis, we'd have to enroll about 80 to 90,000 patients. Because as you know, some people get COVID, they're even asymptomatic, and they, they never get symptoms of the disease. Other people, you know, will get pretty severe symptoms, and some may go to the hospital, some not. So, but when you take this very known population, and we know the statistics from this population very well now after 10, 11 months of, of data. And so when you're exposed, you can, you can plan it. Three to five days later, typically people are gonna develop symptoms. If they're highly susceptible, within five to seven days, they're gonna rapidly progress and need to go into the hospital. Once in the hospital, a couple days later, they're gonna be put on a vent. Once you're on a ventilator, the prognosis is very poor. And within 10 to 12 days, they've most, most of the susceptible people will succumb to death from this disease. So we know without a doubt what those statistics looks like and we can intervene and catch this early in the process and prevent that rapid progression of disease. So yeah, so, you know, so I guess the, the main point here is looking at the African-American population, statistically speaking, we'll do a test on 800 something patients instead of 80,000 to 90,000 patients. So this is faster to get this to market. Is that correct? That's correct. And it's part of the coronavirus treatment acceleration program, um, which means we're not cutting corners. We're just basically putting this in front of the FDA. Safety has been established. This is in a phase 2B, 3A clinical trial, which we're looking at efficacy uh, at this particular point. Okay, great. And so um, a lot of people watching this are going to be wondering, can I get this drug right now? Is it available right now or do we have to wait till the trial is done? No, we have to wait till the trial's done. I mean, this, this has to go through full, the full rigor of FDA approved clinical trials. And then at the end of the study, we'll look at the data, we'll submit a new drug application provided that the data is positive, And then we'll let the FDA do their job, uh, review it for safety and efficacy. And then uh, I'm confident we'll get approval. But no, we can't sell this drug until there's an FDA approval. Great. Now, are there, are there downsides to taking this drug? Are there any side effects that we could potentially see? Not at the dosing that we're recommending in this. So in this clinical trial, you're taking one lozenge twice a day, 12 hours apart. The only toxicity of this would be a, low, a drop in blood pressure. And we're really, we're monitoring the first 100 patients just to make sure they don't have an unsafe drop in blood pressure. And many drugs have what's called a first dose effect. Um, and so we're just, we're monitoring the first 100 patients for an hour after taking the first dose. And to date, there's been no unsafe drop in in blood pressure. So there's really no known toxicities. This particular drug and this particular formulation uh, has versions of this has been on the market for 10 years with no issues of safety whatsoever. Okay, so this is not necessarily something new. There's other versions of this that's been on the market for a long time and, um, and haven't had any issues, correct? That's correct. Okay. And so are so there... it's almost like, you know, the, the analogy is, you know, you can take, you can get uh, naproxen or Tylenol over the counter. You can also have a prescription version of that, like naproxen or, or Tylenol 3 with extra strength or uh, uh, Motrin, something like that. So it's following that same OTC, which is basically just a safety issue. Whether you get drug approval, you're looking at both safety and efficacy. Gotcha. Are there any drug and drug interactions that you perceived? No, we haven't. And many of these patients are on multiple drugs. Um, and mechanistically, we don't anticipate any interactions with any current medications. 
whether they're blood pressure medications or antiviral medications or even the standard of care that would be given if they were admitted to the hospital. So no known interactions and we don't expect any. Okay, that's wonderful. So we're looking at something that's been in different versions over the last 10 years, whether it's over the counter or not. Uh, and we're also looking at something that's relatively safe. And we're also looking at something that reestablishes a defunct pathway in all humans, not just African-Americans, but African-Americans also are predisposed to it based on specific genotypes uh, as well, right? And so I think we're hitting all the, all the marks there. And so this is why I'm excited to be participating in this trial because um, there's different versions of this that I have used in my practice for various different things from cardiovascular disease to diabetes to erectile dysfunction and all sorts of different things. And so looking at this, uh, specifically looking at COVID, uh, I think that we are hit, going to hit a home run. If we can get some data on this and enroll, guys, just enroll at uh, aacovidstudy.com. And there's a questionnaire in there, and you guys should pick your location, whether it's Houston, whether it's Chicago, uh, which, uh, wherever it is. And then uh, once you get on, onto the site, and then uh, just follow those directions, and, and you're part of it. There's a pre-screening process on the, on the webpage, so make sure you go up there and sign up if you qualify. And so, uh, wonderful. I want to thank you today for talking with me. I think this clears a lot of, a lot of issues up for a lot of people. Um, but if you have any questions, everyone just down in the comments below. Uh, throw them out there. We'll try to address them as much as possible. So, uh, thank you very much. Uh, really appreciate your time sitting here and talking to us. And uh, let's, get this, uh, let's get this ball rolling. Thank you, Dr. Ron. Looking forward to it. No problem. Bye-bye.